This is a Dece World production in association with Pants Pending Studios. They're not PC So if occasional foul language turns you off Then you have all been warned This is the call before the storm Once I bang like nine or ten more of these bitches <laughs> I'm out of this fucking joint Get ready for the social hour World Studios in Spokane, Washington. This is the Social Hour. On today's show, comedian Keith Reza. And now your hosts. Yesterday was the summer solstice, the longest day of the year. But he thought that was Christmas when he had to spend the entire day with his family. Malam Keen, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is the Social Hour. I am Dees. Thanks for joining us again. I told you I'd get us back onto this weekly schedule. So here you are. Uh, you're another weekly dose. Um, trying to get back onto this after uh, this <laughs> just being on the road. It's chaotic, but I'm getting. Uh, I'm, I'm. I'm trying to get you. Your weekly dose of Dece and the social hour. So here we go. We got another episode for you guys. Uh, we appreciate you hanging out. Uh, before we get into it with our guest today, uh, I will be in, if you're listening to this today, it comes out. I'll be in Missoula, Montana, hosting the Dope Show uh, tomorrow night, Friday at Monk's in Missoula, Montana. It's going to be a great show. Our first foray into taking that show into Montana. Now that weed is legal there, the show is nearly sold out. So if you want tickets, I would get them now. Uh, go to dececomedy.com for that. Uh, we've got uh, a bunch of stuff. I'm coming back to Texas. Uh, I'll be at Bricktown Comedy Club in a few weeks. Go to dececomedy.com. Uh, check out all the dates. Get your tickets and uh, see where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in a town near you. Uh, I will not be sleeping in my bed till 20, my own bed till about 2023. So if you want to see me uh, uh, somewhere in a town near you, go to the website. I'll probably be there. Uh, and that's it, guys. Uh, we're, I want to get it right into it with my guest um, today, coming all the way from California via Zoom, uh, comedian Keith Reza. Keith, am I pronouncing is it Reza? 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 Uh it's Reza, yeah. Reza. It's spelled, with, it's spelled with the E, but you say it with an A. It's yeah. one of those weird uh, Persian last names. It, but, sounds, um, it sounds more badass that way, Reza. Like, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's a lot of people don't know this, but it's also a, a Hispanic last name, and my stepfather's Hispanic, so that's where that comes in. Oh, okay. That uh, yeah, it. I was gonna say it's yeah. It sounds I've uh, as a uh, Latino myself. Uh, yeah. I was gonna say it's, it's got a little uh, flair to it. Um, so that's where you get it. You're not actually Latino. You're just appropriating my culture. Um, no, no, I, I am. I am Latino. I'm just. I'm like. I'm like two percent Latino. Okay. So like, I think like my great 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 great. 
but I'm more, you know what I mean? Like I don't, I'm not so Latino where I could claim I'm Latino. You know right. what I mean? Sure. Yeah. I think so. you can, I think you can still use the N word technically. Yeah. I mean, I, I do have my own podcast and to be, uh, it's called Razor Riffs. I'm not plugging it, but I'm just trying to, cause this is the point. So I get a lot of Persian listeners and like half the world thinks I'm Persian. That's so interesting. I would lean into that a lot. Do you have to wear yeah. like do you have to wear like gold chains and purple silk shirts unbuttoned to the navel when you go out to really play it up and like, you know? Yeah. I guess, so <laughs> I just got back from the hookah lounge, you know, as we do. Uh <laughs> And then, like, they see me and they're like, oh, my God, this is the whitest Persian I've ever seen. I'm like, well, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so was Jesus, uh, you know. So maybe it's uh, maybe you're the chosen one, Keith. That's it. Uh, <laughs> you're the you're the next you're the second coming. I know. Not, not, that's the point of my comedy is just to be the second coming of things. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, yeah, so Keith is a comedian. Uh, he's been around for a long time. Um, you've done a lot of stuff, uh, and I want to talk about that. So let's, uh, well, where, first of all, Keith, where, you're, where are you from originally? Where'd you grow up? Uh, I was born in San Antonio, Texas. Oh, no kidding. And, yeah, and then uh, when I was about two or three, we, me and my mother, we flipped the bags and we moved to California. And, uh, so yeah, I've been from California, I consider, because when you're two or three, you can't really claim you're Texan because, you know, yeah. you didn't ever shoot a gun. Right. Yeah. You didn't ever not abort a baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, I didn't, I didn't, uh, impregnate someone and was forced to keep it. So I guess I'm not actually Texan. Um, right. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's pretty you know, you can, I feel like the age of, once you hit double digits, you can kind of claim either one, you know, but if you're, right. if you're like, uh, if you lived in a place only till you were like six or seven, I feel like you got it. If you didn't beat off there, you didn't officially live there. I feel like oh, that's, no, I 100% agree. Yeah. And like, wow. the thing is like, I, I, I feel that the Texas state, like, I ha I kind of lean towards their ideas and stuff. Like I want everything to be open. If we die, great. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But uh, I'm fucking terrified of snakes. So I don't oh. think I could ever live in Texas. Mm, yeah, they do have. You know, well, San Antonio's not as bad as some areas, but there's definitely. Uh, but I mean, there's snakes in California too. There's. Uh, I'm fucking terrified of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like. Uh, yeah, whenever I see a snake, I'm like, oh god, I get a, I gotta move a w far away from here as possible. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not, not a big snake guy either. I don't, you know, it's like people who have snakes as pets. I think there's something wrong with those people. They're um, like devil worshippers. Yeah, I think we. Something. Yeah, I think they are. <laughs> I think literally they're just dev <laughs> devil. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just. Uh. Yeah, it's like a weird soulless thing that can't love you back. And, you know, everyone's always like, oh, you need a dog to, to you know, justify or like, you know, uh, 
like give you this love or like and i'm like no no i just don't want something that if it was a little bigger it would eat me in my sleep you know yeah like that that's what they do <laughs> people don't realize that is my my sister her she's a sub she before when she was a substitute teacher she's a teacher now but she when she was a substitute teacher she was subbing over the with this teacher who had like a 14 foot snake and this this lady she's dumb as rocks too for a teacher because she would let the snake sleep with her oh god and it would like crawl around her and stuff and then like it's just cuddling i'm surprised they yeah i'm surprised (laughs) she didn't die because she took it to the vet once and my sister was saying that the vet told her this snake was getting ready to eat her yeah 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 i mean i you know that's it's not like snakes want to cuddle. They're just... They're, this is a teacher. <laughs> yeah, geez, yeah, they're going to give her guns to protect kids soon. Yeah. That's, that's, you know... She can't even protect herself over her own pet fucking snake. <laughs> yeah, she may be making bad choices in life. Uh, well, that's, you, you know, that's the L.A. Unified School District, though. That's not... They're not real teachers. They're just, like, warehouse, like... Try to not try not to stab a kid for four years and hopefully they make it through and that's about it. We don't really care if they learn anything. We just want them to not be on the streets for a couple years as much as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, it's uh, I'm not surprised. Uh, yeah, she sounds like she's. I hopefully she got a bigger snake and it ate her. Um, I hope I think so too because like my I haven't heard about her in a couple years and my my sister's now an actual teacher. But yeah, that's probably what happened because my sister's the type of person who keeps in touch with everybody. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> One day she just stopped answering her phone. Uh, yeah. Any, yeah. Uh, the snake's belly was vibrating. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who, who also, I mean, not that, I mean, I got a couple dogs. They sleep in my bed. That's probably not very clean. I get it. But also, like, it's, it, for some reason to me, it's like, you know, I want to call me an elitist, but I want to stick to my own genus and phylum, you know, at least you start getting into like other reptile kingdoms in my bed. It just seems unnecessary to have a snake. Like that seems terrifying to wake up and there's like a giant 14 foot snake coiled in your bed every morning. The worst part is they hypnotize you. Like when they, (laughs) when they wrap around you, Yeah, they like squish your bed bones and stuff and they take all your life kind of like my ex-girlfriend and <laughs> yeah, um, yeah and then they're like they're they like, look in your eyes and they like yeah and you're like what the fuck's going on here you know what I mean? yeah they're like sure yeah you can yeah. uh the uh <laughs> the yeah you know the one thing about a girl who owns a snake is that you know she likes to get choked during sex that's a girl yeah. that for sure wants you to choke her a little like uh but, but nowadays that's even scary like, you know what I mean? Because, like, before the whole Me Too thing, you're like, all right, I'm on board. But now with the whole Me Too thing, you're like, holy shit, I'm scared. Because are you the type of person who's going to say, okay, this is over role play? Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? So it's very, very scary nowadays <laughs> yeah, to you, do you gotta, stuff. You got to have, like, a third, a bi, uh, you know, a bipartisan third party that just stands there and watches you have sex. Not sexual, not in a kinky way, but just to make sure that, like, I can uh, I can attest that yeah. uh, Mr. Reza did not... Have him sign an NDA or something. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Like, this is just for sex. 
<laughs> it's, yeah, this is a sex contract. That's it. It's nothing yeah. weird. It's just that we're going to bang and make it legal. Um, exactly. <laughs> I'm surprised like the world hasn't come to that yet because, um, you know, you hear all these horror stories and I'm not picking sides or whatever, but like, like let, let's talk about Bill Cosby for a second. All right. Like, all right. The guy... Um, supposedly raped a hundred people, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm willing to bet one or two of those were lying. So in my head, I think he only raped ninety six. Yeah, that's barely even newsworthy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, you know, I mean, you're gonna tell ninety. So that's not even triple digits. You want to? Exactly. You're, you're gonna print that? <laughs> Come on, New York Post. I thought you were a legitimate news source. I bring someone who hasn't even raped a hundred people, and see, you know, we're not even. Well, you know, I'm gonna read this and be like, "Come on, there's a there's a margin of error with everything." You know, you got to assume. But you know what's so weird about that is, I don't know if you've ever seen Bill Cosby live or watched his specials, but I have. I saw him live about. Seven years ago mm-hmm. with my dad. Yeah. Uh, that, that night, he didn't, you know, he didn't take work. us to the green room. So he I can't vouch for that. But he was the funniest stand-up I've ever seen because he did two hours prefer 100% clean. Yeah. And then this whole thing happened with him. And you're thinking, oh, my God, the guy's an actual monster. Yeah. But his comedy is so clean. Like, you got to be a weird, narcissistic type of person to pull that off you know what i mean yeah well it's i said this a lot about certain people you know like uh like ellen ellen uh, degeneres always seems like wants to be the nicest person and like dances before every show i've heard she's like the biggest bitch in the world yeah she's like a raging cunt um yeah you know uh like uh the there's i've known some comics that have worked for and written on her shows and stuff and they said she's just the worst person to work for in the world and i feel like it's just those people that want to perpetuate how good they are and like hi they're hiding you know because they know uh what terrible people they actually are so yeah no uh 100 i mean i i worked with um you know i worked with somebody who i loved very very much and uh it wasn't all roses and stuff. There were some demons in the roses, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So, so it's one of those things where, like, whenever I hear a comic say, oh, that person, it's like I kind of I kind of understand. But yeah. they, then also they don't understand what the stress that person's going through. I'm not sticking up for them, but what I'm saying is Ellen, for example, you don't know how much personal crap she has going on. And she, she seems like the type of person who takes it out on everyone she works with and she puts on a nice personality for everyone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, doing a show like that has got to be a lot of pressure, but also, you know, I think there's people who manage to do it and not be a piece of shit about it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think she has snakes too, so that's one red yeah. flag. I think she is an actual lizard person. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's she's just the Anunnaki. Uh, or you know, that's the the what is it? The whole uh, swizzle blood drinking adrenochrome uh, thing. You know, that's that's her. Um, now l- let me ask you something. If Ellen came up to you and she said, "Dees, I want you to write on my new stand-up special or whatever." knowing what you've heard about her and knowing that there it's pretty, I think she's actually admitted that she's 
she uh, isn't the nicest person to work with. Yeah. I'm, I'm not too sure on that, but I think, she, I think she has said that she's made mistakes. Would you write for her knowing what you know, or would you like say, oh, I'm good? Well, I think, I, I think given the fact that I am a, uh, uh, heterosexual latino male uh no one would be able to embody the voice of a white uh uh lesbian better than me uh right. so i think i'd be That's doing the, i think i'd be doing the world a disservice if i didn't uh write yeah. for uh, um, the you know, I mean, I'm listen, I'm I'm a cheap whore. I'm easily bought, Keith. If the money was right, I would do about any <laughs> anything, you know. And honestly, yeah. it wouldn't take and I'm not going to sit here and be like, yeah, if she was like a, you know, a million dollars, it wouldn't have to be that much money, but you know, it <laughs> would yeah. uh uh I think personally, I would give it a shot at least, but also I'm also the type of person where I'm I always have like a fuck off chambered, so I really am ready to be like yeah, go fuck yourself. I don't give a shit and walk away. You know, yeah. In any situation. I, I have that same thing, but like I, I have a Asperger syndrome. So that <laughs> that's like not using that as my, as an excuse, but that's my excuse. Like yeah. I'm very I'm very non filtery. Yeah. So, so if Ellen asked me to write for her, I probably would tell her to fuck off or I would do it and I would write really bad jokes for her. Yeah. So you just write her normal material. Right, uh, the, exactly. <laughs> the, yeah, it's funny because your bad jokes would probably be like tens for her. Exactly. Uh, that, oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you, I love how I'm just, the king at writing bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> just like shitting on Ellen right now. Uh, that's great. Uh, no, she's a big People fan. come to me and say, hey, would you like to make my act worse? I'm like, sure. Yeah, you know it. Would I? Boy, howdy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, this is speaking of we were talking about uh, just a thought on Bill Cosby to wrap that up. What do you when do you think the last time he raped someone was? Because he's oh, he's Jesus. old. That's that's an excellent question. You know, I mean, he's old, but I feel like he's also ambitious. So, but right. you know, at a certain point, you run out of quaaludes too, and those aren't around anymore. Like, what? How? When was the last time you think he went for the gusto? Uh. I mean, probably as the last tour because he, and that doesn't necessarily mean that he, you know, insert his penis inside people, but like he probably, you know, drugged them and touched them too. And I consider that the same sure. thing. Sure. Yeah. Also violent, a violation of personal privacy yeah. probably. So uh, probably his last tour, you know, because here's the one thing, like I've never done anything like that, but here's, here's what I know about drugs and stuff is if you're a drug uh, and you, you have a history of drug abuse, it's very hard to quit, you know, even yeah. after rehab and stuff. So you'll always have that temptation, even if you're sober. You yeah. know what I mean? So I assume those demons are kind of like the same way, like where you're like, all right, I want to stop raping people. But you know what I mean? I, I feel it'll always be in the back of his head. Yeah. So I feel... Yeah. I feel, yes, I feel he probably did do it up to his last tour. The, the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I, you got to keep in mind, Bill, when I saw Bill Cosby at the Long Beach, it was 4,000 sold out. You know what I mean? That's 4,000 people. Yeah. I yeah. love Bill Cosby. 
who knows how many had backstage pa- passes, right? Yeah. And then yeah. you're thinking, oh, these chicks or dudes or whatever, they're pretty hot. Come to the, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's temptation. And that's what I'm saying was like temptation is probably building. So, yeah, I feel, I feel there's more cases we don't even know about. Oh, yeah. Right? The, the crazy thing is for a guy like that, especially back in his day, he was very popular. He was very charismatic. And not, yeah. not a bad looking dude either by any means. You know, you'd think a guy like that would be able to just, you know, would be in an avalanche of pussy anyway. You know, what's the right. need to be like, nah, nah, I, but I just don't want to have to talk to you at all. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's like a different nefarious thing to, it's not even wanting to get, it's not even like about the sex at that point, which is weird. You know, it's like, I just need to like have this I think person. it's about the power. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and um, you know what, you know, like, you know, what is really sad about it is, like I said, I, I saw Cosby live and he was the funniest comedian I've ever seen. Yeah. And granted, all the monstrous things he's done. If you if you if you ask someone, hey, who's your top four Mount Rushmore stand up comedians? There used to be a time where. I'm willing to bet everybody said Bill Cosby. Yeah. Until yeah. this happened, no one says Bill Cosby. Right. Now, I'm not defending that, but I'm saying as an art, that's kind of insulting. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, because you're, you're, not, you're not being like, who was the best person in the world that you would trust your freshly 18 year old daughter with you know you're you're asking who uh was just the best at comedy you know it's like it's like how everyone loved louis ck and thought he was the best and then now he's not even on that rushmore well not not even that you get this retroactive like oh i never even thought he was funny it's like oh go fuck yourself you pussy you know everyone thought he was funny you're just trying to sound like you're so high and mighty and self-righteous now by this like ah i distancing yourself so much it's like guess what we all had the thriller album Michael Jackson probably fucks some kids, you know? It's still a great album. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? exactly. Uh, I, it doesn't make me, uh, you know, I don't feel good about the things he uh, may or may not have done, allegedly. Uh, acquitted in a court of law, but still have some some questions. <laughs> um, you, you brought up the Louis C.K. thing, and um, I remember when that happened, like right before... It ha- like right before he got trending and stuff about it, I was doing an episode of Razor Rips with uh, Heather McDonald. And Heather McDonald is one of those comedians that when this stuff happens, all the news people go to her, like for the comic outlet. Of okay. It, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I remember I was talking to Alan, my, my sidekick on the show. And this is like, I remember like two weeks ago, Andy Dick got me too. Jeremy yeah. Piven got me too. And I was talking to Alan. I was like, you know, everyone's getting me too right now. It's a matter of time Louis C.K. is going to get it. So we should ask Heather on the podcast about it. That way we could trend and we could say, hey, we, we, we knew about it. Yeah. Alan's like, no, 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 that's slander. That's slander. I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, yeah. it's not slander. If you're a comedian, every comedian kind of knows about it. Yeah, yeah. It's just a matter of time where, you know what I mean? It's literally going to happen any day now. So Alan begged me. He was like, Keith, please don't do this. You know, it would make us look bad and stuff. And for some 
you know, we talk about backing down. I'm not the type of person to back down, but for some reason I did. And I was like, all right, we won't, we won't mention it to her. And we have a great podcast interview and all that stuff. And then the very next day, who's on CNN talking about Louis CK? Heather McDonald. (laughs) And I was so fucking pissed at Alan. I was like, Alan, we could have got like 20 more subscribers just by mentioning this before they got it. We had the scoop on CNN. Yeah, like you got the scoop on Razor Wrist. Heather would have said, you know what? I just talked to Keith Razor, a brilliant stand-up comedian, about this yesterday on his podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Alan, you dumbass. Right. Yeah, well, well, hopefully he, you fired him. Uh, no, no, he's my best friend. <laughs> we all make mistakes. Uh, but I remember it pissed me off because it was like I knew it. You know what I mean? Well, it's so funny because, uh, like you said, I mean, I... <laughs> I consider myself fairly low down on the, uh, 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 you know, showbiz comedy rung. And I was well aware of these actions Louis C.K. was. I feel like everyone kind of knew. It was like this open secret, you know? And then all of a sudden, it's like the the society learned about it. And it was just a big, everyone was like, yeah, it's kind of been happening yeah. you know it's just kind of what's been going on uh i mean not to say for better or worse uh you know you don't jerk off in front of people they don't want you to um but also it's one of these things where hollywood always does this where they, they you know once people are outraged they're like yeah this is a big problem you know like they all they knew harvey weinstein was forcing these girls to blow him for years but all of a sudden when when society's like that doesn't seem right. And they're mad. They're like, oh, yeah, that is really wrong. It's terrible. Yeah. You've been doing that all this time that we knew you were doing that. And you know what's weird is, like, I'm not really into the movie business, but I've heard stories about Harvey Weinstein before it even blew up. Yeah. I also heard stories about Cosby before it blew up. Yeah. But it's, I don't know. I just feel like, I feel like when it blew out, it was, like, the right time, the right place for everything to blow up. It was like a volcano. You know what I mean? And I think it was actually good, you know, because we, we want to protect everybody. We want to keep everyone safe. And especially in comedy, man, like I've done shows with so many creeps and it's just, um, you know, even when it's like towards me, it's just kind of like, it's uncomfortable because I, I want to go to make people laugh and I don't want to go fear, fearing, like that yucky feeling in my stomach. You know what I mean? Yeah, comedy is ripe with uh, <laughs> a plethora of terrible people, all the way from like club owners all the way down to, you know, showrunners and comics. Uh, there's a yeah. ton of really, really just, it just, because, tr- you know, it's like such a, it's such a open, there's no barrier to entry, you know, except for like being funny. And even right. then, people still manage to make it in uh, somehow sometimes, you know. Uh, but, like, that's kind of the... So there's no, like, application process. No one's interviewing you to see if you're stable or not raping people, you know. like yeah. uh, So it's kind, of, uh, it's kind of tough. Well, one of the things about me is um, when I got the job with Norm, I, uh, I got... You know, I mean, I got a huge ego problem because uh, 
you know, Norm McDonald was my favorite comedian and I toured with him and he became my best friend and I wrote for him. And I remember during when I was with him during that those eight, nine years I was with him, I on I honestly didn't treat comics good. I treated them like they were beneath me. And um like I said, I had an ego problem and uh I just remember like one day I just woke up and I just I just I was just like, you know what? This person's never done anything to me. Why do I think I'm better than them? I was yeah. just in the right yeah. place at the right time. And the past four years, I've been trying to do a lot of soul searching, apologizing to everyone who I've wronged and stuff. Um, to my knowledge, a few still haven't forgiven me, and they still, you know, shit talk me on social media, which, which is fine because I obviously hurt them. But at the same time, I feel at peace because I feel I've actually made that effort. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like DM me, let me call you, let me give you a real apology. Let's talk, you know, and I'm not saying all of them I were wrong. You know, there were some of them I picked fights with people for no reason. And there's some I just fought back. But in the end, I had a major ego problem. So I've changed because I, I, I the older I got, the more mature I got. And then there came to a point where it came back to Norm and Norm actually had to talk to me about it. And then at the time it was happening, I didn't see what I was doing. You know yeah. what I mean? But now yeah. I see what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it can be tough that, especially if you get a big boost in, in your juice, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that it's, it's tough to stay grounded, but it's even, I think it might be even tougher to circle back and recognize that and acknowledge it. You know, it's easier to just move on. And, uh, so to, to take that time to go back and apologize and make amends is says a lot. Um, you know, yeah, but yeah. I, the point is like, I, I understand from, you know, I feel everyone is a jerk until they're not a jerk. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, that's, that's very true. Um, and, uh, com comedy is a tough play. Cause like I said, there's no, there's no roadmap or barrier to entry, but no roadmap also, you know, there's nothing yeah. that, uh, Eddie, you can meet other comics, but everyone has a different journey on how they get there. What happens? You know, some people get lucky early. Some people are hilarious and never get a break. You know, there's no, like you do this, then you do this, then you do this. And that, you know, it's just, it's scattershot, you know? Yeah. So, you, you know, even taking advice from older comics or, you know, more veteran seasoned people, it doesn't always apply to everyone necessarily. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, but, you know, but like, for example, like I did your show the uh, a couple of weeks ago and I, I had I had a blast. I thought that was one of the funnest shows ever. Yeah. And I wanted Good. to ask you, like, how did you. Because you weren't there, you were in like Montana or something. So, like, how did you become so smart to run these shows and still travel? Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I uh, I've been doing comedy for a long time now, and I just kind of realized a couple years, yeah, I don't know how many years ago, six years ago, something like that, that like the I saw the writing on the wall that you know, comedy clubs are great. I like working in clubs. I work some clubs around the country, but. Um, I come from a background of marketing and, uh, um, you know, business development and, and, and things like that. So I, I was an independent consultant for a long time and, right. and, um, 
so business was really easy to me. So I was like, well, why am I letting, you know, why am I working a feature weekend or a headline weekend at a club and having them pay me very little money? Because, you know, unless you're the top 1% of comics, the, the money, you know, clubs pay you is not great. I'm like, I can go, you know, rent a theater, rent these theaters around the country or find these venues and four wall it. I'll promote it. I will sell tickets and then I'll keep, you know, I'll make all the money. So I started doing that myself. And then I started finding venues that wanted to keep doing shows when I was not there, you know, so I, I started a production company and, um, I mean, I have weekly, monthly shows happening and I think like 12 different States now. Um, so, and it's, uh, it's great, you know, cause I, I mean, honestly, I want to, I want comics to work. Um, I want to help get comics paid. Like I really, really enjoy that. Uh, because I mean, I've, I've been there in the struggle of a guy trying to come up or a, or a road comic or, and it's, it's challenging. Sometimes there's not a lot of work or not enough work or, um, so if I can help get some comics paid, like I, I really enjoy that. You know, I mean, uh, obviously I make some money off each show too, so it helps keep me afloat, but, um, yeah, that was the one thing that actually really did impress me about you because um, I've known who who you are for a while. I've never done your shows, and I just figured, hey, you know, when it and then just randomly you asked me to do it, and I did it. But I remember I was talking to the host about you, and she said the exact same thing, and I didn't even know that. I didn't know you had shows at different states and stuff. And I thought, you know what, that's very impressive. And I was at like that. I was just. I don't know. That's just really admirable. So I think that that's great that you're doing that. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, you know, like I said, I just want to get uh, more comedy is better. You know, I mean, I, I'm not one that's really, you know, people. It's very easy for like when I came up, I felt like it was like a weird island. You know, like comics were very uptight. Comics were very defensive of like shows and stuff like that. And for me, I was like, I'm never worried about anyone else working because, like, I'm confident enough where, like, another comic is not going to take my spot. You know, I'm, right. if I'm worried about other comics taking spots I might get, I'm just not working hard enough. Uh, and see, that that's very admirable because I'm the exact opposite where I feel, <laughs> I feel if I'm not getting the spots, I feel I'm not good enough. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I get that. That does make it's easy to feel that way, you know, but yeah. I, I try and someone, I don't know who this quote, I think this quote is attributed to someone, uh, maybe Dave Chappelle or someone else, but they didn't tell me this directly because I've never met them personally, but like someone, some comic years ago told me that like, you can only be mad about a bad set for as long as you were on stage. So like if you had a if you did a 20 minutes and it was a bad set, you can only be mad about it for 20 minutes after the show. And I really tried to take that to heart. Um, and I really try to also look at like I'm like a statistics numbers guy pretty hard. So right. I'll, even if I have a bad show, I also look at the amount of shows I've done and how often they've gone well compared to how often they've gone poorly, you know? So like yeah. I have to start looking at that and be like, all right, yeah, this was a bad show, but like statistically more way more often than not they go really well so this was a bad show that's okay you know um and uh there's more shows there's the next show and 
Yeah, just so I, I try to I try to keep that positive outlook and when I when I approach things and really uh, uh, look at it that way and then yeah, just keep keep moving and new states, new shows, more more the, stuff. The hardest uh, comic working comic that I've ever come past with, and I think he's funny. I don't think he's the funniest comic in the world, but uh, it's Jamie Kennedy. Okay, yeah, I've, I've I've worked with Jamie. Yeah, yeah. So Jamie. Jamie will take any gig he can mm -hmm. on an off night, regardless to pay or whatever, and then he'll take another gig. I've seen Jamie do five shows in one night. Oh, wow. At different spots. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is just in Los Angeles. So when Jamie hits the road, he's really crisp. Yeah. And he'll, yeah. he'll sometimes fly in the night before the shows. He'll find the open mics and he'll do those. Okay. So, and this is Jamie Kenny, a national headliner who, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's been in movies like, and all kinds of his TV shows and yeah. So, like, he doesn't need to do that. He's the type of person who, who could just, he's the name where he could just show up and do his, his hour. But the fact that he puts in that work, you know what I mean? So, like, that's the type of comic I want to be if I ever become that big. And sounds like that's the type of comic you want to be too. So I really like that. Like I really click with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm a comic. I want to do comic yeah. stuff, you know. And it, absolutely, if I can go hit an open mic after. I mean, I've you know had a show, then found a late night open mic at a random town in North. Like when I was down in California a couple of weeks ago, I had a show, and then I found a open mic in like couple like 20 minutes away in north tustin and i'm like ah, i'll go hit this you know it's like i want to you know meet other comics do comedy i mean it's what i love so um it, i always tell people i'm like that i this is something i would do for free i did do it for free for a long time you know uh, all comics did comedy for free for a long time before they made it into you know a career if they ever get that lucky so like uh, i i try to remember that how fortunate i am to do what I love doing, you know, this is, it's not lost on me. And I tell, I actually end almost every show I do that way. When I headline, I'm like, I let the audience know, I appreciate them being there. And like, we couldn't do without them. It's not lost on me that I get to do something I love for a living. You know, I'm very lucky. Yeah. So, and I, I don't know that kind of, maybe it's a reminder to myself every time too. So I don't forget that you know right. like take advantage of or take it for granted you know the 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 one thing that i i've never liked about this business is is the the paying scales because i i agree with you i feel comics aren't getting paid enough but i also know that because you know i i've run shows before and i've done these shows i've also know there's some shows that can't pay what comics expect to be paid yeah you know what i mean and uh, I feel once we all need money and stuff, it makes the world go around and it, you know, it feeds our children and stuff. But to me, and I think this is something that I learned from Norm, money is just paper. So it's not really a thing that I'm trying to get. You know yeah. what I mean? Okay. And that seems very hypocritical but I feel what I'm trying to get is to search for the perfect joke. And I feel like that's, that's when the money comes. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a good way to look at it. I mean, 
it's kind of cyclical in a weird way. Like the money helps keep you afloat so you can create the perfect joke or keep creating to the perfect joke. But it's really, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day for an artist, a real comic, you're not, you're not in it for the money. You're in it for, for the jokes. Yeah. You know, you're and in Bill it. Cosby's in it for the pussy. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, some people have different needs. I get it. Uh, so, <laughs> Yeah, it's a it is a it's a pretty wacky uh business we we are in. <laughs> the well let's uh how how did you end up in comedy? Cuz it, it's crazy cuz like you I feel like you it's funny cuz not there's not a lot of people who are actually from California, you know, or from where where in California did you guys move to from San Antonio, did you say? Uh we moved to Orange County, so okay. Huntington Beach. Okay, so yeah, that's you know, there's uh i grew up in long beach uh and then i i lived in uh i actually lived in costa mesa for a little while also um and have a ton of family still in north orange county south la and uh it's so weird because you know there's no one is from there you know everyone moves to there but like no one in the industry is from there um so it's you know what was your what was it like for you getting into comedy? You know, how did that, especially being in that area? Well, how I got into comedy, um, because I, I do have a form of autism called Asperger syndrome. And when I was growing up, I was very nonverbal. I used to get picked on and, and just humiliated at schools and stuff. And uh, I went to like four or five different schools. I remember one time I was walking home. And I walked by this mom and pop coffee shop and it said uh, $20 for the best joke. And for a 15 year old kid, $20 is like a hundred dollars. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I remember I was walking and I was just thinking, you know what? All these people are, are being mean to me and laughing at me. Is it because I'm, I'm weird or is it because I'm funny? You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I had that. So I did the the open mic best joke and I won and it was just between me and this other person who you know he wasn't that good but neither was I sure and and uh so I won the $20 and then I thought hey maybe I could do this I never won the $20 again but um so that's what I did and then I remember the more stand-up i did and the more voice uh, speaking uh classes i took the more i got comfortable talking and um you know stand-up really saved my life like that because this is before i even met people who you know i've worked with i was just doing it on my own because i wanted to be happier yeah about me and this is before I even knew I had any form of little talent that I had. So I would do that. I would sneak into bars. I could buy a fake ID, not to buy booze or whatever, or go to strip clubs, but to go to bars to do comedy and to bomb, like really bomb. Yeah. And at the time, I remember I kept thinking, I don't think I was bombing. I think that's just what everyone does. Now that I'm older and I look back, I fucking sucked. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like why did i do this because a 15 year old doesn't have any real life i mean mo- i do an hour when i when i 
headline shows and um i always i always say i have to do an hour but like it's not because i'm being narcissistic or whatever that's just how much time i i've been working on and i'm working on a new special and i remember you know now i think okay i'm good but then i remember when i was a kid and i tried to do that much time i didn't have it and i was still talking about the same stuff i talked about today yeah having autism and i feel you know, we, we talked about this earlier about the whole maturing thing. And I also feel like that's, that helps too. The older you get, the more experiences you get. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Not only experiences, but you also get more comfortable in yourself and express, like, you know, yourself better and you're better at expressing those experiences. So like there, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people who start comedy later in life who are actually more successful right out of the gate because they're like they're just more sure of their ideas and what they, right. they you know they just know more stuff uh it's just a, and it's just a numbers game you know you've had more time to know more stuff um so to be able to yeah do that and feel a little more confident in what you're expressing um otherwise it's just you know it takes time it's a sport you know it's it's reps you just got to go out there and, and do it i wanted to ask you when you do the stand-up uh, do you, are you one of the type of comics who like constantly plays with the microphone or like, do you, do you hold the microphone when you're doing it or do you leave it in the stand? I hold it and, uh, I pretty much just hold it the whole time. I don't move it around a lot. It's just kind of in my left hand Yeah. there. Uh, I'm not a very dynamic comic. I don't move around a ton. Uh, right. Although I'm tr- I'm adjusting that a little because I think I'm I'm funniest when I'm ranting. Uh, right. So I'm like it's hard to move when you rant. Yeah. So I'm like I'm kind of like getting I'm kind of getting this more dynamic thing a little bit and trying to get a little more uh, active and. Uh, but I'll have these flows where like, I'll be steady for a while and then I'll kind of go off on a tangent. Then I'll have the kind of be, and it's, I kind of want to keep people fluctuating throughout the show when I'm, when I'm doing an hour or two, you know? So it's not just a guy like here for an hour, you know, I want to have a little yeah. bit of, uh, so, so I, re- I remember when I, when I did these open mics when I was 15 to 22, I was the type of comic where. I would hold the microphone and walk around mm-hmm. because I was so uncomfortable with who I am on stage and I don't hear laughter and I don't see light. One of the things about having Asperger's and I remember I would just walk around just to, you know, Hey, I did it. Yeah. Don't really care if it was good. And then the more work I got and, you know, again, another thing that I, I learned from Norm I learned that you don't, there's no rule that you have to touch the microphone. So like now I would say the past 13 years, I haven't touched the microphone once. I always tell the host or whoever, leave the mic in the stand and I don't even move the stand because to me, I feel the stand is my shield of real life. Yeah. So if I let the audience in, why am I even here? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's an interesting take. And uh, again, it goes back to like how there's no roadmap or rules with comedy and, uh, you know, a certain type of comic. You have to have a style. You have to have something that uh, justifies not touching the mic. But there's a certain comic that can do that. 
and very much get away with it, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, so, some clubs don't even have stands, though, like, or open mics, they'll have the microphone and just put it on a stool. Yeah. And I can't do those clubs. I, I say, look, you got to figure out to have a stand or this is going to be not good comedy on my part yeah well also if you're a club that can't afford a stand maybe yeah. maybe you should you're in the wrong maybe, maybe your business exactly. is gonna last that long anyway uh yeah like how do bands play i don't know <laughs> yeah it's like we uh don't definitely don't order food here they can't manage a, a mic stand uh they probably don't know how to you know put together yeah. a, a meatball sub or something uh yeah. like a <laughs> Like Subway, you ever perform at a Subway? Fun. Yeah, they don't. You know, yeah, you know, who doesn't have microphone stands. Subways. Uh, <laughs> so, I remember I performed at a Subway once, and this was on Melrose, and fucking Ron Jeremy comes in. Oh, the Hedgehog. Yeah, and he he did stand up before he got arrested for all thirty of his rapes. Yeah, he didn't even hit triple digits. That piece of yeah. shit. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not really impressed with him right <laughs> yeah. now. But uh, his stand-up was so bad. And I remember at the time, his manager was my manager. So, like, whenever I'd run into him, it's like I have to be nice to him. You oh, yeah. Mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, I remember I got forced to interview him, too. And that was just uncomfortable for me because he, I, I don't really, not to knock anyone's shame, but I don't really like people who are just doing it to do it. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that these days. Someone who is just a personality and has people know their name, you yeah. know. Uh, although I have to ask, how did did you ever wonder when you, like your manager is also representing him? You're like, what does that say about me? When you saw the same, you're like, you saw this guy and you saw me, and you're like, yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> you're like, well, <laughs> y yes and no. Yes, I feel. Yes. Uh, yes, because I feel that, you know, like you said, what does it say about me? But at the time, you know, he was the biggest porn star in the world. So sure. he was making a lot of money. So I, I could see why people would want to represent that. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It does make sense. You know, like, like I said, there's now there's, uh, just this influx of people who have never done stand up, but they are a known personality. So, you know, in as as a comedian, it really it, it irks me sometimes. As a business owner, I completely understand why the comedy clubs do it. You know, right. uh, like they can. It's like ah, oh, you know, the aforementioned Jeremy Piven. You know, he's gonna have. There's gonna be a sellout crowd to see him meander around on stage and do 30 minutes of uh, uh, stories about entourage, you know? Uh, I opened up for Jeremy Piven and uh, I did it once. And I, I've always liked Jeremy Piven because I, uh, for the folks at home, a, a little thing about me is I have a weird, crazy, unhealthy need help obsession with John Cusack interesting and yeah like i i think uh i think john cusack's god and so i opened up for jeremy piven because jeremy piven was always like the the david spade to john cusack you know what i mean yeah. he was the sidekick and i remember i opened up for him and i did all my great john cusack jokes yeah 
And then I got off the stage. I was like, "Ah, did you like it?" And then he's like, "I didn't really like your John Cusack jokes. Him and I don't talk." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, great!" So now Jeremy Piven fucking hates me. <laughs> what? I then said, uh, "But all but you think that'd be?" Uh, but I, you would think I would know that since I know everything there is to know about John Cusack. Well, you know, you, but you just look at John Cusack with rose-colored glasses, you know, so you just assume everyone loves him. He's just so lovable. How could anyone yeah. not love him? Uh, and then Piven let's, is like... Let's this. put it this way. I love him so much. I follow him on Twitter. And I thought you were going to say in real life. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's very political. And I'm the type of person where, like, po- po- poli- politics really puts me in an uncomfortable situation because it does... Like, say if you vote for Trump, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a racist. Yeah. But people think you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Cusack's tweets are so, 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 so one-sided where if I was a normal fan, I would be turned off by it. We're like, okay, this guy's way too. Yeah. But I'm not. I I look at him as as an artist. Politically, I don't really agree with him, but man, I want to be that guy's best friend. Yeah. yeah. I mean, isn't it, uh, I assume he's just, is he extremely like conservative right wing? Is that the deal? That's another thing. I don't know anything about politics. What's, what's right wing? Is that oh, Democrat? I, no, that's, that's, uh, that's Republican. Okay. No. So no, he, he's, he's one of those guys where like he would tweet and be like, Trump goes, goes to jail. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. So fascism or uh, something and stuff. I don't know. I, I can't quote the tweets. I'm sure. just saying. Yeah, I feel like the the nice thing for for Cusack is there's not a lot of stakes. I don't think I don't think his phone's ringing for a bunch of stuff much anymore. So it's like he can probably do or say whatever he wants now. You know. Yeah, I've been I write scripts, and every script I write, I write for John Cusack. Yeah. <laughs> so his phone's gonna be ringing someday when I sell these fuckers. Yeah. Okay. This is uh, John. We got you something. Uh, <laughs> You're going to play uh, the guy named Keith Reza in a biopic about his life. Uh, <laughs> you're a kid with Asperger's from Donington Beach. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> Everybody fucking hates you, too. What do you think? <laughs> you know, yeah, we're going to have Jeremy Piven play himself. No, that's what you should do. I was you, just going to say that. You should, you, should, you should pitch Jeremy Piven on playing John Cusack in a biopic about John Cusack. <laughs> <laughs> See if Piven... Like, well, I couldn't afford John, but I'm pretty sure I could afford Jeremy Piven. <laughs> we can get you on board here. Uh, God, that'd be fucking hilarious. Uh, just watch him blow a gasket. Did you see this movie? I watched this movie. I saw it in theaters, but I also watched it last night. It was with Nicolas Cage, and it's like, a, I forgot the name of it. It's like the unbearable weight of massive talent or something where he plays himself, and this guy hires him for a weekend just to hang out with him, and yeah. like there's a kidnapping and stuff. I was thinking I should write a sequel to that, but with John Cusack. Sure. Sure. I, uh, I do. I can, first of all, I gotta say, I love the idea that uh, Nicolas Cage is in a movie called like The Unbearable Weight of Talent. Like, how self fucking flagellating is it to be like, it's tough to be this. Uh, <laughs> it was like, actually a great movie, man. I mean, it's like, did he really lived up to the title? I gotta say, yeah. 
<laughs> um, yeah, John Cusack is in the sequel. He's like just uh, the unbearable way to be even more I talented. I hire him and we talk about must love dogs for two yeah. hours. <laughs> Just, that's it. it never cut a scene or anything uh <laughs> i think you can do it keith i believe it i want to see that project uh let's do yes. it i'm gonna start <laughs> writing it today pal um so uh let's uh i do want to ask you how you kind of ended up uh with with norm you know you, you you that is something you did you you worked with norm mcdonald um was he and he was one of your favorite comics before you met him and worked with them or yeah, so Norm was always my favorite comic. I saw, um, when I started watching stand-up with my dad, we would watch the, the show called One Night Stands. Okay. And it wasn't about sex. It was about stand-up comedy. These comedians would do 20 minutes, maybe. Yeah. And, and um, they were, like, specials. You know what I mean? Like, so they would have, like, someone do do a skit then the stand-up then the, then a skit mm-hmm. and i saw norms and i thought it was just so funny because the the humor was so wacky and i could understand it as a as a 15 year old or yeah. 14 year old which which is very hard to do because you know during that time it was all about pokemon you know what i mean sure so it was very hard to to get that that age Stop. So then I remember when I was 23, I bought tickets to go see him at the Irvine Improv. And uh, I did stand up, you know, I wasn't I wasn't good. So I didn't think I could even compete on the show or whatever. But so I saw him and uh, I stalked him and uh, we just clicked. Like the first time I, I met him, he gave me a autograph and uh we talked and then uh i i said by the way i bought tickets to see you tomorrow night too and he's like oh okay i guess i'll see you tomorrow night. so i went the following night and then i then we talked again and i was like i bought tickets to see you the next night so i bought like six tickets to see him. yeah and then the next year he came in town i bought tickets again and he remembered me. He's like, Keith, why are you buying tickets, man? Just come out, hang out. So we became friends. And that would probably happen for like three years of just me constantly stalking him. And uh, then he's like, you know, you should probably just have my number if you want to talk. So we switched numbers and then we talked every every other day. And then, then he offered me to work for him. And I toured with him. I was his assistant. I wrote on the podcast and the Netflix show, and we were actually writing on something else. Uh, that project died when Saget died, but um, like officially died. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was my best friend, and he was like my dad figure to me in comedy. I, I, uh, I actually have a tattoo on him. Uh, you know, I don't know if you, the folks will see it, but uh, can't fucking, it's like right here. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I actually have a tattoo for him, and uh, you know, I really did love Norm very much, and you know, I was one of the few people that actually knew about the cancer. And I remember he told me that he told me this that he had it two years ago, and he told me it was colon cancer. And 
I know nothing about cancer, just like I know nothing about politics. So I didn't know how bad it was, you know, but Mm -hmm. apparently he died of leukemia cancer. So I felt maybe he lied to me about what type of cancer, but then I felt it doesn't even matter. He still told me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he swore me not to tell anyone. And he's like, if you tell anyone, you know, don't ever talk to me again. And when you, when you have a relationship with somebody and it's like that, that, uh, that hardcore, you know, that's something you can't break. You yeah. I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So the point is I got it. I got, I met Norm through stocking and stocking works. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> big, big proponent of stocking. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, all you stalkers out there, you know, just don't give up. Eventually, <laughs> they, eventually they get the restraining orders, and uh, if they drop it, it's a good sign. Yeah, you, you're good chance you're in. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, it's so funny because uh, Norm McDonald, Norm was my favorite comic too. I, I I'm not ever usually bummed when uh, celebrities pass away. Uh, you know, it's like, cause usually I'm like, I didn't know him, you know? Uh, but he, I actually want one of the earliest jokes I remember as a kid, like remember like kind of turning me on in comedy was, it was when he did weekend update on Saturday night live. And he had this, it was just like, he's like top 10 list of worst jobs in America just came in. And he's like second worst job in America, uh, uh, crack whore. Uh, first worst job in America, uh, assistant crack whore. And I just like, I remember I was like nine years old or 10 years old or something like that. And I just thought it was the funniest fucking thing like that misdirection. Uh, and that, you know, years later I look back and I'm like, that's a very norm joke, you know, but, uh, the, that was just so funny to me. Uh, and you know, I, I always thought he was just the funniest guy. I mean, I, when I lived in California, anytime he played, anywhere you know irvine i saw him in irvine brea you know hollywood Uh, anytime he played anywhere around i would definitely go see him um so is that how we met do we do we meet there um no we meet on social i think on social media because i don't think i've ever i don't think we've ever met in real life honestly yeah not that i because i'm i'm not in california a ton anymore um i haven't lived there in quite a few years but i mean i'm down there like a couple times a year doing stuff but not not often um, well, the reason why is because I would say fifty uh, percent of my actual fans, if you could even call them that, they're probably only fans because of my association with Norm. Sure. Yeah. So I get letters every day, and it came to the point where, you know, this isn't even when he was still alive, where it came to the point where I was just because Norm's humor was. A, are we good on time, or do you have to? Oh no, you're good. Yeah, no, oh, you're good, man. Norm's humor, like a lot of it, was he liked to shit talk people, and so he he was huge on on the site called Reddit, which I'm not a fan of. But I remember I would always get like these tweet Twitter notifications about people talking shit on me on Reddit or whatever, and Adam Egit used to get it a lot too because like. That, that was his humor just picking on Adam Egan. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it just came to the point where like, I'm getting all these tweets where it's like, first of all, these motherfuckers don't really know who I am. And I get norms like kind of edging it on, but it's like, I'm not, I'm not 
these names you're 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 calling man and it just it really hurt reading instead of being said if someone says an insult to you you could probably take it better but if you read an insult about yourself yeah it kind of stings so it got to the point where it's like okay i don't even want anything to do with this site so i don't even want to fucking so i literally blocked a lot of people who would who would troll me on this but they were they were fans of you know norm and stuff and it's like i wasn't blogging them because i don't want the support i was blocking them because i don't think that that's funny yeah and um so a lot of i do get i still get a lot of messages and stuff and like you know i've been more since he passed i kind of been the whole i think i got that whole let's feel sorry for keith and not not uh pick on him as much card which i like to be honest with you (laughs) but you know i do get a lot of letters and stuff and you know i read all these great norm stories and stuff and you know a lot of people ask me about it and stuff and you know it's it's so weird because like when he was alive and stuff everybody wanted me on their shows and stuff because they wanted me to get norm to do their show or yeah. their podcast yeah. or yeah. something like that and you know i was his assistant so you know if i if i wanted to i could make it happen to be honest i don't think i even said yes to one request sure because sure. It, it was like and we go back to that whole being selfish thing where i wanted that relationship i didn't want to give it to anyone else you know and um so now I get all these requests about what was it like working with him and all that stuff. And it's sad, but at the same time, it's like, I feel that's always going to haunt me because I'm known as Norm McDonald too, which I kind of want to just be known as Keith Reza. Yeah. Right? yeah. And that, that's a curse that, that I stepped into nine years ago. Yeah. You know, and I can never get rid of that. Well, and like I said, I love I love the guy. He was my best friend, and you know, Fred Stoller. I heard through the grapevines is going to write a book about Norm, about the dark side of Norm, and that he wants me to share a couple of stories. And I was just like, that's not really my type of thing. Like yeah. what it, what what the dark stuff was between me and him. The great stuff is between me and everybody. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it, you know? So, I mean, yeah. you know, why in, yeah, I mean, why, you know, why even go down that route after someone is gone is kind of the question. It seems like a, it's money, yeah. you know, money and attention. And, you know, I, I love Fred. And like I said, I don't even know if this is true. So if he's listening, I, I don't know. This is just what I heard. But it's probably just a money thing or, or, you know what I mean? Which I get. You can't blame anyone for trying to make a buck. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know I, I suppose. But that's, you know, it's like, yeah, I hate that because it's, it's one of those things where if that's really something you want to represent about a person, why are you waiting till they're dead? Yeah. You know, yeah. have the balls to do it while they're alive, you know? I said the exact same thing. Like, <laughs> when, when when Norm died, a comedian uh i don't want to say names and to be honest i don't really remember her name but she i remember it it stuck with me with the story because she claimed like a little me too thing going on Mm. and i was just like you're waiting till he's dead to where were you five years ago yeah right yeah 
and you know, not to discredit anyone, but a lot of that feels like just a hey, I need some attention. Like I need to, I need to get a piece of this somehow. You know? Yeah. So I'm not even saying if it. I I don't believe in my heart it did happen. But what I do know is the second I read it, I just blocked her because it's like you know this is negative energy that I don't want to hear about my friend, especially since he just died. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. What are you getting out of it? after they're gone you know why then you know it's it's uh i guess there's a lot of questions it's hard to know without knowing the the person's intent or what really happened but that just seems really it does seem a little nefarious you know uh an oddly convenient timing so i'll, I'll tell you one thing too like when when saget died that broke my heart because i was actually becoming pretty close with saget like norm introduced me to saget mm-hmm. and i feel See, I feel in a way Norm knew he was going to die, and I feel he introduced me to Saget so Saget could take care of me. Like, I I truly get that feeling. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I don't think Norm knew Saget was going to die. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So when Norm died, I would say, you know, Saget was best friends with John Stamos and Mike Young and stuff. But for the six months after Norm passed, me and Saget were talking literally – every day on the phone and uh he uh, he actually offered me to go on the road with him and i did one city but i couldn't do the other cities because something happened with my dad so i had to take care of him but uh i just remember when he died i was just so blank because i could have been that comic in orlando to find him you know what i mean yeah yeah no kidding that have been crazy so, so it really it just really hurt because uh, we wrote Dirty Work 2 and I was I was telling Saget, I was like, you know, obviously we can't use Norm, but, you know, we could find someone to act like Norm, like me, right? Hey, yeah, yeah. You know, we uh, did all these, uh, you know, horrors, yeah? <laughs> like, you could make it a me, you know, yeah. I could do makeup, we could do it or whatever. It could be my big break. And I mean, I'm already in the, the lane of being Norm McDonald's ghost son or whatever. So we could do it. And Saget, he was warmed up to the idea. He's like, well, maybe we could just do like small scenes and make it more about Artie. I was like, yeah, we could do that. That's cool, too. And then Saget died. And then all that Dirty Work 2 rumors just Gone. officially died yeah. because yeah. no one already laying... I don't think is gonna fucking do it himself. You know what I mean? Uh, no, I was gonna ask if Artie was gonna be in it. Um, you know, because I, I mean, the I don't. I've never met the man personally, but obviously he's got a lot of struggles. Uh, you know, I, I never met Artie either. But from what I know about him and his struggles publicly, uh, Norm loved him very much. Yeah, and and there was a. There's a crazy rumor that saying that guy got into it because Norm didn't talk to him the past 10 years. Norm was the type of person where he didn't want that involved in his circle. But he did say nothing but good things about Ari. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can see that. That makes sense. I mean, it's a hectic, it's a very difficult situation Artie's going through. And, you know, it's, it's tough to be involved in that in any way, you know? So yeah. that's not unfair. I was, I was thinking about reaching out to him, but it's one of those things where Artie doesn't know who I am. And I was thinking maybe since Norm's gone, Saget's gone, Artie could be my new 
my new, you know, person. But uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like maybe it's not appropriate. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know if that's not in a, if that's inappropriate, but I would say I don't know if Artie Lang has the faculties to be as uh, magnanimous or generous or like as much of a. Uh, I don't mean generous, like f just financially or whatever. I mean, like emotionally generous as someone like uh, Norm yeah. or Saget would be able to. They probably just doesn't have that capacity, you know? Yeah, and I could always say, hey, I know people with more fucked up noses than you. <laughs> I know people that still have noses. Uh, yeah. the <laughs> You're lucky. Yeah. They, yeah. Um, so... I mean, now for you, I mean, uh, moving forward, obviously, you know, you have your own comedy career. You're looking at filming another special. What's your uh, timeline on that? What are you looking at doing there? That's a great question. Well, most comedians who release a special every single year, I feel their kind of work ethic is there, but I feel their special is not. Does that make sense? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like for example, Louis C.K., that's awesome. You could do an hour every single year, but if I'm being honest, even Dave Chappelle, I've only liked two of your fucking 10 specials. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And, uh, I'm not saying I didn't like any of the other ones. I just think like the jokes weren't quite there. Um, so when my first special make it happen, I personally feel it's the best special of all time. I feel it could compete with anybody. Uh, we tried to get it on Amazon and Netflix. Netflix passed because it wasn't filmed in 4K. Mm. And Amazon, I don't know why they passed. They're fucking stupid, I guess. But um, so we went, we ended up going with Mad Records, which is just an independent uh, comedy audio release thing. And I put it on YouTube. And like I said, if you watch it, and you know you support it and stuff you know i'm i made i make no money off it i lost money on that special but it's one of the best specials of all time like laughter you know like i'm very confident if someone picked it up it would have won best special of the year yeah like I, I could truly say that in my heart so the material that i'm working now out now uh out of the new hour that I'm doing, I probably only have 10 good minutes. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic did fuck that up a little because, you know, when the pandemic happened, you know, I probably had 30 good minutes. Pandemic happened, lost all the stage time. I kind of stopped writing, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I know what's yeah. going to happen. And then Norm died, then Saget died. So it's kind of like, excuse after excuse but now i'm getting back in there so i would say the rest of this year i'm working on writing that that hour getting it decent and next year i'm gonna really polishing it making it perfect and then the next year i'll start filming it so to answer your question it's not coming in anytime soon yeah but yeah i when i film it i want it to be just as good as make it happen or better yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is important. I think, I think it's quality over quantity as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that's, uh, a really good way to look at it. Cause uh, you see a lot of comics who, yeah, they, you know, they're these bigger comics who release specials every year and there's f laughs in all of them, but yeah, are they, 
Are they top notch all the way through? And I think part of the thing you get, I mean, I always tell people part of the thing that I think you, that comics fall into as you get bigger is that people are just coming to see you. Because you're, right. you're you're such a big name, like Tom Segura is going to sell out everywhere because people love Tom Segura. So so, no matter what he does in his special, his special can be like, bam bam bam, sharp super laughs all the time, or it can be like kind of meandering, but people are still going to love it because they love Tom. Whereas someone who like me, who people don't know my name, and I'm not a uh, you know Netflix famous comic, if I have if I start meandering in a set, it ex- it gets exposed much quicker, you know? Right. So, um, you know, it's weird because you, it's, it's one of those things where like, that's why, that's why I always tell people, you know, if you go to a comedy club, like watch that middle act, I guarantee you that middle act is going to have a fire 25 minutes because they are working their ass off and they're trying to get to the next spot. They're working, hustling, you know, they're making 75 bucks a show or something like that instead of... Uh, I, I always thought like the middle act would always be... I mean, I don't know how you book your shows, but this is how I book the shows. My shows is I always book someone who can do an hour in case the headliner doesn't show up for whatever reason. That's a good way to... Yeah, that's a good... So, you know, middle acts, I feel, I agree with you. I feel they're the hardest spot, but I also feel they're the easiest spots because those are the the easy ones where like, like if we're being honest, I'm in, I'm a middle act. Like I could close out, I could do an hour, no problem. I can't sell tickets. So that's why I'm probably a middle act. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel the host is probably the, the strongest comic on the show because they have to go up fire cold cold crowd 10 15 minutes or whatever and really steam it you know what i mean yeah it's an art if if your middle act sucks which there's a lot of shitty middle acts that makes it more harder on the host yeah 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 i mean you know yeah structuring a show where yeah, host is important because if you can get a good host who has some energy and charisma and uh, can actually get the crowd laughing in 10 minutes, you know, that they should be able to set it up for the feature to just crush it, you right. know, crush an easy 2025. Cause you know, you gotta have the feature work a little. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But if you're like a good, if you're a comic who can headline or is headlining and you only have to do 20, 25 minutes, you yeah. can, you can cherry pick and pick your best 20, 25 you know your strongest material and you should be able to just like plow through that set you know because you're not if you're someone who's like "Ah, i only have like about an hour or so if you're doing an hour you're doing everything you know some of this stuff may not be your best so where where if you're doing 20 it's like man i'm gonna take my best bits (laughs) you know i take you know six or seven of my best bits and just crush this thing yeah i mean i always loved like now when I go out now, I, I, I can't, like I said, it's not about the money. It's more about the time. I can't go out for 10 minutes. I have to go out for at least 20 to an hour. Yeah. Otherwise I will reject the show because like I said, I'm working on a new special and I don't get into my flow until more time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, if you're working on longer bits or stuff, that's like, inside of uh bits you've got you got to kind of you need some time to really 
stretch him and work on him. You know, 10 minutes isn't always enough. So, um, let's see. Well, uh, Keith, let's, uh, um, probably wrap up here in a minute. Tell people where they can find you, the podcast, you follow you, uh, any shows coming up? Uh, I don't have any shows coming up. Like I said, this is a, this is a more of a practice here. Try and get back into the form. Uh, but you, you know, all the shows that I do have are on my website, www.keithreza.com, R-E-Z-A. And then, uh, you know, Razor Riffs podcast. We're on the 11th season. We've got some big names coming up and, uh, that ends in August, so you know you could look in the app, the archives of everyone who's done it and stuff. It's a, like my special. I'm very proud of my podcast. I really like my podcast. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I don't have any uh, writing projects right now. I was thinking about like pitching a a reality TV show, but I got to find somebody with steam to help me get in the door. You know okay. I mean? okay. Yeah. But I, I, it's one of those good ideas that if someone takes it, it'll definitely be on Fox after fear factor. Okay. <laughs> like, uh, is fear factor still on? Is that a show still going on? Uh, the- I have no idea, <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it's good. I, I just, like I said, I, I'm not a big enough name to do it. And, uh, even if Norm was alive, it wouldn't be Norm's cup of tea, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping maybe Jamie Kennedy or Jay Moore or something like that. Okay, Cause yeah. I, I think I think that's their cup of tea. I'm very good at writing for other comics too. Okay. So when I when I when I say that, I just got to get them to to agree to it because yeah. I think it'll be, you know, because when I wrote for Norm, writing for Norm was the fucking easiest thing in the world. It really was. And. Um, you know, when you when I wrote for uh, Lucas Dick, that was fucking hard because I I didn't really know much about. Him. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. Writing for other people is tough. Sometimes you just find a groove where you can write in there that person's voice easily. Sometimes, you know, I mean, I've got comic friends. You know, like my 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 friend Sophie, a uh, great comic, and she I can write for her very easily. But there's mm-hmm. other you know there's other people that I just have a tough time you know writing jokes for if i need to so well see that that's my advice is like i feel every comic should write in their favorite comics voice because you never know when you get an opportunity like i did yeah that's true yeah i mean you yeah. and so um yeah and plus i mean if you can get some writing gigs that's a it's a hell of a way to do it. So that's where the money is, yeah, bro. More money right. in writing than stand up. Yeah, that's talk about these seventy five dollar, one hundred dollar gigs. Writing, dude, you're 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 you could get ten thousand right there. Yeah. Then as the years go on, you get ten cents. <laughs> that mailbox money. Yeah. That's where it really adds up. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. I I would uh yeah, believe me, I would love to get in some sort of writing gang. That's how I. That's how I got into comedy. Is writing. I used to do comedy writing uh, when I lived in L.A. Like very small stuff, like for websites and some stuff, some punch up. My my cousin worked at MTV, and I would do some like script kind of stuff on uh, reality shows that they did and shit like that. MTV, I feel, made one of the biggest mistakes when they got rid of music, 
and then they started going into all this reality TV show, I feel they should have kept the music and probably start going into comedy. Because look at Comedy Central. At one time, Comedy Central was huge. Yeah. And the only thing that Comedy Central would be competing against would be MTV, not all these Netflix streaming things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Comedy Central now is just like non-existent. They're just, it's just. It's like a Tonight Show appearance. It's not, it doesn't do, it doesn't give you any juice. Yeah, I don't think any comics are even trying to do Comedy Central anymore. That, do they even do those like special, like thirty minute specials or anything anymore? Yeah, they do. I mean, I, if you get one, great. I mean, I, I'm still trying to get those, but yeah, um, I feel on MTV though because if you look at their reality TV shows, their reality TV shows suck, but they have funny people in it yeah. that you think, yeah. huh, this is funny. So I always thought maybe MTV should have went through the stand-up route, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think they're both owned by Paramount, though, which also is weird. So really? Like, or, I didn't know it. Or, well, no. No. Comedy Central is owned by Viacom, which might be a Paramount company. I don't fucking know. Everything's owned yeah. by the Everything's owned by George, George Saros. So, uh, Pretty so soon is, it's all going to be owned by Amazon. Yeah. So. <laughs> um. All right, well, uh, Keith, give give your shout out for your social media again: Instagram, Facebook, anything where people can follow you. Uh, just Keith Reza. That's it. That's it. But where can the folks follow you? I'm more, they they should follow you more. So uh, where can they follow? If you? they're listening to this show, they're following me already. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> oh, okay. um, so uh, guys. Uh, the uh that's it for uh this week again go to dscomedy.com check out everything going on across the network we've got shows uh all over um the yeah just go to the website you you know what to do from there uh that's it guys uh for the social art guys uh i have been decent for keith keith thank you very much appreciate you hanging out today of course it was a lot of fun yeah i love you man thank you yeah i love you too buddy this was fun guys and uh uh for social art i've been Deese, and we will see you all next week if you didn't beat off there you didn't officially live there mm-hmm.